passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. We are diving deep into all of the Desmond Ritter news this week, officially announced as the starter on Monday. Marcus Mariota goes on injured reserve Wednesday after leaving the team to get his knee looked at, and his time's over. It's officially Desmond Ritter's time. So we're going to dive into what all that means, what we should expect how all of this went down with somebody who knows it pretty much better than anybody else. And that is ESPN's Mike Rothstein. So our conversation is a lengthy one. Uh, It's pretty uh, intensive. It's pretty all encompassing. So I'm not going to say too, too much here at the top. What I will say though, is that I've watched all of Desmond Ritter's preseason tape, uh, which really is all I kind of care about. Yeah, you can go back and watch the Cincinnati stuff, and and that's useful maybe to get a better feel for the player. But in terms of what the Falcons may ask him to do, I just felt that the preseason tape was a better representation of that. So that's what I limited myself to. But I will have a piece on the Falcoholic kind of detailing what the team should expect, how they may play to Desmond Ritter's strengths, what those strengths may be based on what we saw this preseason. That's going up on the Falcoholic Thursday, same day as this podcast. So I encourage you to please go check that out as well as all of the great coverage over there on the website. Um, But what I saw from Desmond Ritter in the preseason was somebody who was decisive as a thrower, somebody who really operated smoothly and in rhythm with a lot of the play action game. I thought it was almost like musical at times, almost like there was a dance to it a little bit. He felt so in tempo and right on the steps and right on the beat. I was impressed. It's not necessarily something that anybody's going to make the Hall of Fame for, for being just really great with their tempo and pacing and all the little nuances. But I think it shows a savvy that I hope comes to, you know, uh, embody a lot of what Desmond Ritter is for the Falcons, because I think that that is the version of quarterback we should hope for is somebody who just knows where to go with the football, somebody who adjusts in game to the adjustments that are being applied to him and somebody who just has such a feel for the position for how he in that position can manipulate defenders that he kind of does little things like this where he uses subtle body languages and subtle body movements to maybe influence a tiny little bit what the defensive uh, unit is doing around him. So I may be reading way, way, way too much into that and projecting 
something that is uh, just the way he goes about doing a drop back or doing a play action handoff. But I was impressed with the tempo that he seemed to have in doing the little things. And I was impressed with his accuracy. Coming out of Cincinnati, he was often inaccurate early in games and kind of wildly inaccurate. But I thought in at least two of his three preseason games, he was sharp right out of the gate and really fit some throws into some tight windows, had some really great touch on passes at kind of all levels of the field, whether it was a short screen where he just kind of feathered it in there with a little bit of pace, whether it was, you know, intermediate round, he had to get it over a linebacker, but kind of in front of a safety or whether it's deep down the sideline, as he did against Jacksonville in the third quarter, backed up against their goal line where he hits his back foot, steps up and lofts a ball that Frank Darby catches perfectly in the breadbasket on the left-hand sideline. I think Desmond Ritter is definitely going to bring that added element that the Falcons are missing, have been missing in the passing game, and that they've really been trying to get going the last few weeks, but they're four or five. They've lost four of their last five. The passing game has had a lot to do with that, and I think that that is ultimately why this move to Ritter is being made. They feel like mentally he's ready to go at this point, and I think the physical tools, the arm ability has always been a tick better than Marcus Mariota, even though for much of the season, we've kind of been saying, yeah, these two quarterbacks may be more similar than they are different, but that's Desmond Ritter as a rookie, and you're betting that that's his floor and that the upside is there. So we're going to be talking much more about Desmond Ritter, frankly, for most of today's podcast. So buckle up, settle in. Here we go. Let's get to Mike Rothstein. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to bet online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Remember, use our promo code believe 50 that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's that easy. Bet online, where the game starts. Really excited to be joined now by Mike Rothstein, the Falcons beat reporter for ESPN, the host of From the Perch. Mike, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join me today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. All right. So big news out of Flowery Branch this week or official this week. Um, but Desmond Ritter will be the starting quarterback uh, heading into Sunday. Uh, looks like for the rest of the season, we'll touch on the Marcus Mariota bit of it um, in a second, but just... Is this a move that you felt the Falcons had to make given, you know, under 20 points offensively four of the last five games or in their four losses? Or is this a move that they were ready to make and Desmond Ritter was ready to get this starting job? I think it's both. I, I do. Uh, definitely the had to make because it was very clear this team was going nowhere fast with, with Marcus Mariota. Mm-hmm. The defense has been improved yeah, as by their metric, let me rephrase that. By their metric, the defense has been improved because they still go up a ton of yards. They're still not good on third down. But mm-hmm. what Dean Pease measures it as is points. He's always said that. He's been consistent there. 
And points-wise, they've been pretty good the last five weeks. The one game they won is the one game they gave up over 20 points. Like, they've been good there, at least when it's mattered. Like, that Carolina game, you know, was kind of added on at the end, right? Mm -hmm. They've been good defensively in terms of scoring defense. Yep. But offense is just, the offense just hasn't moved the ball. And Mariota got progressively worse each week in terms of missing throws and wildly missing throws. Uh, You know, some of them, when Pitts was in, I think it was more explainable that Pitts was clearly dealing with uh, an injury all year long or majority of the year and Mm -hmm. one injury or another. And that, and it was, you know, there was some issues there. So that could have affected stuff, but other guys, it's just like, what do you do? And I think it got to the point where, Mariota wasn't giving them enough. And and I wrote about this on Tuesday as well. I, I, I spent months, sort of months, talking <laughs> with Desmond Ritter at different points about his development. And uh, it's why a lot of times – and I kind of was uh, not saying everything I knew when I knew it throughout the season, trying to – I mean, you've seen me on Twitter, trying to breadcrumb stuff a little yep. bit of – well, no, listen, he's just not – it's not just Mariota. Like he has – Ritter has to be ready. And Arthur Smith admitted it on yeah. Monday that a month ago they would have had to truncate the playbook somewhat to play Ritter. They don't believe they're going to have to do that. And part of why that is is because Desmond Ritter now understands the mental part of it, understands the nuance of it way better than he did two months ago, which one would expect. However, Desmond Ritter told me it was in the middle of October we talked about this, that really at the beginning of October he realized it wasn't – like he was still missing on the small stuff, which the small stuff as an NFL quarterback is the difference between success and not. It's the details, yeah. Yeah, so he realized that and then he – decided to kind of revamp his approach. You know, everything Marcus Mariota was giving him was good, but he decided to revamp his approach. He started using Quizlet, which I didn't know what Quizlet was. <laughs> oh, really? Until... I used it in college. Yeah, see, Quizlet was not around when I was in college, Will. I'm, yeah, so many Latin flashcards in college. Yeah, like I used the act, I would go and buy the flashcards that you would buy, like the index <laughs> cards, and create them. Like yeah. that was what I did. No, I've got a shoebox. I've got a shoebox filled with many of them, but Quizlet was yeah. a lifesaver in that regard. Yeah, Saving so trees, did. Quizlet. So I actually, I remember asking him, Hey, what is Quizlet? I, I'm an idiot here. I don't know. And he's like, Oh, mm-hmm. it's like flashcards. Well, he's like, if you played high school or college ball and you know, you know what it is. And I'm like, well, dude, I'm old. A, I didn't be, I'm older. <laughs> uh, and then he actually also got his wife to help him out. So what he would do is uh, 25 minutes to a half hour, hour every night, he'd have his wife, say a play call and he'd recite it back. So kind of mm-hmm. like mimicking the headset. Now it was funny. He told me there were the times where his wife, Claire would struggle with some of the wording and the verbiage. Uh, <laughs> and he did kind of have to help her a little bit there, but that was good practice too. Yeah, exactly. So it was all of a sudden, then I started talking to other players and they're like, yeah, he it's, I mean, I, night and day difference. Uh, Caleb Huntley told me completely different guy than rookie minicamp in terms of some of the stuff that they've seen from him. Frank Darby was basically telling me, oh yeah, I know by the end he was starting to finish the play calls before Charles London got them out in these post-practice sessions. They would last anywhere from 15 minutes to a half hour with guys like Huntley, Darby, Felipe Franks, mm-hmm. uh, so Josh Ali, some of the practice squad guys. 
as well that they were getting because they're mostly running scout team. So all of these things started to come together for Desmond Ritter as he started to gain more comfort with the offense. Does this mean he's going to be successful? Well, we have no idea. Like, let's be honest. There's no idea. But he's put in a better position to succeed now than he would have been a month and a half ago in terms of what he knows and how he can approach it. I think, you know, coming out of rookie minicamp, heading into training camp, kind of around training camp, the, what we heard about Desmond Ritter was that from a mental standpoint, like he was picking it up quickly, that he was ahead of the curve. So it makes sense then if he understood, hey, the the area of my game that I can gain the biggest advantage on while I'm not out here starting and not getting time on Sunday is the mental aspect. But you also likened his development to a slow drip in your story. And I really like that, you know, a, a coffee, just Either slow that, drip. And, <laughs> right. Okay. So, so that's, but that's kind of how they, how they've gone about um, the analogy that they're using, yes. right. For his development. Do you think that they had this bye week circled as the time when that coffee would be ready the whole time? Or do you think that, you know, this this just kind of all came together because of how Marcus Mariota played early on in the season, bought them more time, and that now, given how everything's occurred, it's just the right time. I think it's a little bit of everything. I know, I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but I, I truly believe it. I think, yes, ideally they looked at it and they said, hey, if Desmond Ritter is ready and Marcus Mariota is not playing well, then yes, they'll make the switch. Now is the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Do I think they could have made it before? If I think if Ritter was ready... Yeah, I think they would have potentially considered it beforehand. Uh, I also think if they were in a different division, they might have considered it beforehand where there wasn't the possibility of playoffs. And there still is very much the possibility of playoffs. But at (laughs) some point, and Arthur Smith's alluded to it, at some point you have to say, well, okay, am I going to chase this? And let's be honest, at this point, you're chasing it with Marcus Mariota. It's probably not going to land you in the successful place you want it to be considering they lost four or five. Like if I think right. if they had won three of the last five, then we're probably not talking about Desmond Ritter. Again. No. Uh, be, you know, that that's part of it. Like their hope was always that Marcus Mariota would have a career resurrection and be the guy going forward. They, they would not have signed him if they didn't at least have some hope that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. And there were points this season where you could say that it looked possible. Yeah. With what they were trying to do. I mean, that game against San Francisco, people pointed the yardage, but he was doing ex- doing exactly what they asked him to do. Now, was that going to be enough? No. I mean, he hasn't thrown for he, he hasn't thrown for over 200 yards in a game since October. So, yeah. it was very clear that when they went to an attack that had to have a little bit more passing, that was a very big problem. And it didn't work. But when they were trying to build it more around the run game, it it worked very well and mm-hmm. you were able to get by. Now, would that have gotten him the job next year? I don't know the answer to that. But we'll never know because it didn't it didn't work when they asked him to do a little bit more and they tried to evolve it a little bit more. Offenses do have to evolve, right? Like that that was the big thing is the Falcons had a great head start with the work they were able to do on the ground game early. But defenses take some time to kind of really, I think, find their chemistry, even though they usually have a head start on offenses in training camp. It's usually around like the halfway point of the season where the the really good defenses or the developing defenses, I think, really start to show improvement. I think 2016 for the Falcons is a good example of that. 
and the Falcons or and offenses in the league try to stay ahead of that curve. They say, all right, you're adjusting to what we've shown you through the first six weeks. Now we're going to come in here with the counterattack, with the curveball, the off-speed pitch, and, and throw you something different that you haven't prepared for and maybe win three out of our next four because we're showing a new look. I think the Falcons tried to do that, and they ran into the limitations of the quarterback position. So 100%. It, it seems as though Marcus um, was told Thursday morning, the reports get out. Friday, he comes to the uh, to the team, says he's stepping away to get a knee injury, a chronic knee injury looked at, right, and evaluated. So do, did that surprise the Falcons in your estimation? Did they anticipate, A, this injury being something that Marcus was dealing with, and and B that he would ultimately kind of leave the team and potentially land on IR as as things stand now because of this. Yes, <laughs> I think <laughs> okay. there was some surprise there. I mean, because here's the thing: Arthur Smith, in particular, I think we've seen this over the last two years, has been very conservative and cautious when it comes to injuries. There are a couple, maybe exceptions here and there, right? But. Mm-hmm they've generally been really cautious because they're very big on not wanting to turn, turn short-term things into long-term things. And they've also been pretty transparent. I mean, you have to be with the injury report because otherwise yes. you get fined, but they've been pretty transparent on the injury report throughout the season. Marcus Mariota has not been on the injury report once this season. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm not sure. He may have anything. We'll find out as things go. But I'm not totally buying that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just not. Because do I – if Marcus Mariota was still the starting quarterback, do I think he would be all of a sudden having his knee looked at? No, I don't think that. I No, I mean the timing is awfully convenient. Because here's the thing. If there was a really big issue with the knee that you'd want it looked at, you want to know when you might have had it looked at? Now, granted, <laughs> he, was, he had a kid, but right. you might have said, hey, you know, I'm in a hospital. Yeah, I'll yeah, get while I'm here. Tuesday. While I'm here. Hey, you know can I mean? just get Sometimes this Sometimes the can take what they take. But I'm just saying, I, I, that's a, I've been around the league long enough. Yep. I, it does not seem... Like it just uh, it doesn't necessarily seem like it seems like if A then B type scenario versus like this was uh, because I've seen this on social media and it's it's driven me nuts. Will they did not bench Marcus Mariota because of a knee injury? Right. This was done. I mean, listen, Arthur Smith said it was performance based. I can tell you with certainty, a hundred percent certainty, this was not because Marcus Mariota had a knee injury. This is not because Arthur Smith had his hand forced, like, mm-hmm. which is another thing I've seen. Like, no, they made this decision. They knew they needed to make this decision, and they did it. As far as Marcus Mariota, I mean, yeah, I the way I've been in a lot of coach press conferences, I thought Arthur Smith was very transparent and very clear, and like almost screaming it from the rooftops. Like, a has nothing to do with B. Mm-hmm. Mariota basically is like, I'm not starting anymore. Peace out. Like that's that's kind of how I read it. How I read the entire situation. And that seems to be, you know, the, again, the most straightforward answer. I, I'm learning. I think with this coaching staff, with this kind of regime, usually maybe is the right one. Like there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of we're trying to 
play games with you guys. Like usually you don't also hear a coach go out of his way to say this was performance based multiple times in a press conference. But I think that they needed to make that clear distinction that yes, an injury is involved with the player who's no longer the starter or supposedly there's an injury involved with the player, no longer the starter, but that that had no factor and no bearing on why the decision was made. Usually like coaches don't come out and explicitly say that like unless asked the third time (laughs) that that was, that that was the case. So I I think that that's very telling. Um, But Let's go back to Desmond Ritter real quick because I want to talk about, you know, what to expect over the next four games. And we the media gets very, very, very little uh, glimpse into practices during right. the actual week. Right. It's 15 minutes and usually or maybe 30 minutes if, if people are generous. But generally it's 15 minutes and it's stretching. Right. And, it, and uh, it's maybe I mean, special Falcons, teams, Falcons, individual work. Or has that changed? A, the Falcons give a little bit more. OK. Uh, in terms of what we see. So then what have have you seen anything from Desmond Ritter from the start of the season to now? What growth have you seen, if if any? That's been really hard. Okay. And that was why when I wrote the story I wrote on Tuesday, uh, I don't know when this is running, today, Tuesday, whenever you're publishing this. (laughs) Thursday. Um, Thursday. Okay. So when I wrote the story on Tuesday, uh, my – I knew that most people had not seen him. And we, you know, on Fridays, we'll go and talk to Arthur Smith on the field. So I've seen Mm -hmm. a little bit of the post-practice stuff, which is kind of how I knew some of what was going on there. Not that I was like paying a lot of attention to it, but you would see him work. And that that was generally going on every day from what I've been told by multiple people. But no, there's no way for us to gauge because of what we see. I mean, I generally see a couple quarterback throwing periods almost on most practice days. And that's about it uh, in terms of that. Like most of the, whatever team stuff is done that we see is not revelatory or anything like that. And, you know, Desmond Ritter has been with the scout team every one of those practices until probably Wednesday. So, well, definitely Wednesday. Um, yeah, I, it's kind of – it's tough to say. Now, I have watched Ritter throw a lot during warm-ups in pregame, and I have watched Ritter throw when he's just kind of throwing to Drake London and what was Drake mm-hmm. London and Brian Edwards and what was at one point Drake London and Brian, and Kyle Pitts. I mean, he, he, there is some velocity on that thing. Um how that looks in a game, mm-hmm. we have no clue. Anyone who tells you they know how Desmond Ritter is going to play is lying to you because there's no way to know. Or they're from the future. And if they are, <laughs> if they could just pass along some Mega Millions of Powerball numbers to me, that would be wonderful. I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> you're just not going to have a good grasp on yeah. on what that's going to look like because the only time we've seen Desmond Ritter play will is in the preseason against mm-hmm. backups. It's not even like they gave him really run against any teams once. I'm trying. I've been trying to think whether they did. I think maybe some ones were in against Jacksonville, but not many, if that. Like maybe. Yeah, because you get you get later on in the preseason, then both teams kind of decide, yeah. hey, we're we're not going to play any of our ones. So he got like longer and longer run in each game, but yeah. not necessarily against starters. Right. I mean, and we saw a little bit of him getting run in practices. Mm-hmm. 
But that was because they mixed and matched everybody because they knew yeah. that Desmond Ritter was one snap away and that was what it was going to be. But he never or very rarely ever got any work behind the number the number one offensive line even during training camp. Now, there is some help there because Drew Dahlman and Matt Hennessy were in a you know yeah. training camp long battle and they the way they alternated it. So there is some familiarity between Drew Dahlman and Desmond Ritter. But – other, other than that, this is a giant mystery, uh, both in uh, how Ritter will play and also I think the type of plays that they run. I, I think they, yeah. we could see yeah. a little bit more variance in what they do based off of Ritter's skills versus Mariota's skills. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. I think there's a chance we see less of the zone read that I think Marcus was, that was maybe his best play was that kind of third and six zone read pull oh, yeah. it when the defense is expecting and, and pick up a first down. We may start seeing more, more calls that are geared towards what Desmond Ritter does well. And maybe that is getting the ball out quickly for a screen or something like that. If he's not as, as equipped to do the zone read thing as well as Marcus was. So this is the last one for Desmond Ritter, but you talk about how nobody really knows going in. So what do you think is the right way for fans to fairly evaluate the quarterback position over these over these four games? Because you and I both know that people well, are going to freak out. Well, they're not going to fairly evaluate it, Will. Come I know, on. So that's why I'm asking you, what? how should they? If we can only create the world that we wish to live in, then how should we ask fans to evaluate fairly the quarterback position? Treat it like uh, an elongated audition and that as long as nothing goes horrifically bad mm-hmm. like we're talking like Ty Detmer throwing six picks I think he was with the Eagles yeah. then or whatever bad in a game um Jake DeLone like, versus the Cardinals in the yeah. playoffs yeah. yeah as long as it's not that I think that you go into next season with him at least competing for the job if it goes really well then you might have your quarterback issue solved if mm-hmm. it doesn't go well well you're probably losing at least three of the next four and you're probably drafting in the top 10, which might be able to get you a quarterback. If you like one of the quarterbacks that are coming out, whether it's CJ Stroud or Will Levis or uh, TBD. Um, that That's, that's where it is. I mean, I would say this, no matter what, unless Ritter goes out and goes like, you know, starts completing 75% of his passes for like, Two, uh, 280, two touchdowns and doesn't throw, yeah. you know, throws like two interceptions over four games. Unless something like that happens or he decides to become Brock Purdy. Uh, <laughs> Rookie year, like, Justin Herbert. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, no, but in all seriousness, unless that happens, I think that it's an open question going into 2023. It's one of the bigger, it is one of the bigger, but not the biggest, no matter what happens, not the biggest question, I think, around the Falcons this offseason. So what do you think that is, pass rush? Hundred percent. That defensive line and edge rusher. That yeah. was the biggest issue going into the season. I agree. That is the biggest issue coming out of the season, without question. I, I mean, I, I think it's number one, and I don't even think quarterback is quarterback is important because of the nature of the position and what it's yep. doing offensively. But I don't even think when you look at totality of this team, I think the defensive line and edge rusher are way more important than quarterback at, in terms of, of of needing to find that. Because sure. as we saw with Marcus Mariota, as we saw even with Matt Ryan last year, and maybe we'll see with Desmond Ritter, Arthur Smith's a good enough play caller and a smart enough play caller that he can make it work with what he has. And one would think that their skill position guys and maybe their offensive line will be better 
2023 than 2022 because some guys like Kyle Pitts and Drake London will have another year of experience. Mm-hmm. So will Tyler Algier and potentially Caleb Huntley. And also, you have money to spend in free agency if there are guys that you want to go after, and you do have another draft. But defensively, they need help badly yep. in that defensive line and edge rusher category besides Grady Jarrett and, I would argue, Arnold Ebiquete. Like I, I think we're going to see a lot of Arnold Ebiquete and uh, – and, D'Angelo Malone. And, and D'Angelo Malone uh, down the stretch. Yeah, so let's stick, let's stick right on that. So you in your podcast, uh, which came up this week, talking about some of the other changes that we could expect outside of the quarterback. Arnold Abiketti, uh, D'Angelo Malone. You you mentioned that in in speaking to uh, Coach Manichino that Lorenzo Carter is playing way more than uh, than they want him to. Yep. And that you know we could see down the stretch, uh, Abiketti, D'Angelo Malone getting a little bit more run there. That it would benefit the Falcons to kind of make that um, those moves to get those evaluations in there. Why don't you feel like Arnold Ebicady has already carved out a little bit of a bigger role? Because to me, he's been one of the kind of standout surprises, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Well, because you don't want to give him too much too soon, because also I think you can argue he's been really good as a pass rusher, mm-hmm. but you don't know how he's doing. Like, like setting the edge on the run has been a little bit meh. Yeah, it's been bad. And when you're playing opposite Lorenzo Carter, whose job is largely to rush the passer, well, you need that guy to be the the edge setter on the run. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, is part of it. And Tim Aquino explained a lot of this, where like their roles, Malone and Ebiketti and Ebiketti, AK, there we go. (laughs) So much easier. AK's roles are, are different. It's almost like they play the same position, but they play two different positions. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, so it's it's tricky, but I do think we'll see more. I I went back and looked at kind of Lorenzo Carter and when Lorenzo Carter's been at his most effective throughout his career, and it's usually when he's playing like between sixty and seventy percent of the snaps. Mm-hmm. Like when he went on his five sack and four game stretch to end last season, that he was that's where he was playing in that range, and I think that the Falcons would like to get it more in that range. But yeah. they just haven't been able to because of the youth of AK and Malone. And let's be honest, Ogan Deji is he's showing been disappointing. Be, no, I wouldn't even say it's disappointing. It's just showing he is way more of a run stopper, and that's your guy. And he's not going to give you a ton when it comes to pass rush. But I think even in that area, because I agree, like he I was really great looking either, but I'm just saying yeah. that's what I think he now projects as. Right. Completely like agree. He, he could end up being like he could end up being a starter still for them next year, but in name where he's a starter in in like, and you could see him, I I could see him being kind of like, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, Like if they played Chicago, Mm -hmm. I could see him playing a ton because of the, that style or Cleveland. But if they're playing say Tampa, I could see him being, uh, again, not this year, but next. I could see him being inactive if you have more on the roster because of the way those, because Tampa doesn't really have a run game and their run game is approximated by screen passes and, and short dump offs. Now, of course, their offense may look totally different next year, too. I'm just giving you an example. So yeah. I think ideally that's where Ogan Deji is. He's like your number, f- you want, you would be very happy if you were the Falcons to me going forward. If Ogan Deji is like your number four next year. If you yep. bring Lorenzo Carter back, he's your two or your three. You hope AK can 
fill and Malone can yeah. maybe fill some of those roles, but you get mm-hmm. somebody who's a clear one. You get somebody yeah. who you know, whether it's in the draft or in free agency, that is going to be an impact pass rusher for you. And the other thing too is you have to see if you can find one. And by the way, as we're talking now, and this isn't running till Thursday, so I'm going to ask about it tomorrow, but I just realized we did not ask in anything on Monday, and this is on me, about Taquan Graham. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because I think about he's played well line. this year. Well, but not only that, I mean, because he got hurt and right. he's on IR and I, I, who knows if he'll be back. But like, it seemed like from a run, per, like him and Grady were working very well together. And I think that they was were. helpful, but they need more. Like Timmy mm-hmm. Horn's a fine situational player. Like he's a great depth piece. I think he'll be, he'll be around for a few years as that, but you need, you need more out of that interior and you need yeah. to be a little tougher on the interior. And, and I anticipate that that's where the Falcons are going to pay a lot of attention this off season is interior and edge rusher. I know I've said it a few times, but I, I really want to drive that point home because all the attention Unless, like I said, Desmond Ritter plays like an all-pro the last four weeks of the year here, um, will be on the quarterback. So much of that – but the real thing is going to be the offensive line, the defensive line, and then some other spots they need to fill. Yeah, I mean you can – it's just so noticeable at times that teams, when they want to establish themselves on offense, feel like they can run right at the heart of Atlanta's defense yep. and just kind of say, look, stop us. Pittsburgh did it. Carolina has done it like the teams that just want to run it right down Atlanta's throat. They look like Alabama or Georgia doing it sometimes. So it's a clear thing that needs to get fixed. I think actually the times when Atlanta's interior doesn't look bad, it's usually largely because of a guy like Rashawn Evans making the play, filling that that hole. And so when you mentioned on the podcast that Troy Anderson, you feel could also see some increased uh, reps over these final four games, but not for Rashawn Evans but for right. Michael Walker, which is surprising because I, you know, I'm a big Michael Walker fan. I like what he brings to the team. I don't think he's been bad this year, but I also agree with your assessment that Rashawn Evans has probably been more valuable because of at least he's really strong. I think against the run, yeah. do you anticipate if Troy Anderson comes in and starts playing well as he's played with limited opportunities this year, is that kind of the beginning of the end for Michael Walker's run here in Atlanta? And so, you know, how do you see that shaking out? I, I don't know. That's an interesting question, right? Like, if I'm the Falcons, I would bring Walker back next year. I mean, because, I a, well, two things. One, Rashawn Evans is a free agent. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if he were to come back. I think he fits this defense well. I think he's had a good year. I'm not even talking about just the tackle numbers. Like like you said, he's very good against the run. He has really become a leader, I think, of this defense. Yeah. He is somebody who understands Dean Pease's scheme. So as long as they're still running that, then, yeah, I could easily see Rashawn Evans being back here. You know, he's also from the area-ish in Alabama, and this is the closest mm-hmm. the team is to, to Alabama. So there, there's a lot of reasons for Rashawn Evans to return if, as long as the money's right and the Falcons want him back, and I've been given no indication that they would not at this point. You know, there's still four games left to go, at least. The Michael Walker question is interesting because I, I, I don't think he's played great this year. I mean, I think he's played great in – Sorry, Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> that was great. I think he's played great. They disagree. They, they think do. He's they do. Michael they Walker do. Well, himself. Than the just I recorded my podcast for Thursday earlier, and there was jackhammering going outside my apartment. So I have no idea if that nice. showed up. I had my producer for my podcast would be, what the heck is this? Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, Michael Walker is an interesting situation to me, right? Because he has a lot of splash plays. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that because of that, and he's a great talker, he's a really nice guy. I think because of that, a lot of people say, oh, he's like really, really good, playing really well. I think he's been fine. I think they believe, I, I believe from what I've seen in a limited scope of Troy Anderson, you need to get him reps because I think he's got a chance to be really good. I mean, the sideline to sideline speed, the That's real. downfield speed, you don't see linebackers like that. Remember, I forget what game it was. He chased down a, kick, a punt returner. Ray Ray McLeod, San Francisco. Yeah. God, yeah. my favorite play of the year. But no, but I'm saying, you want to know the, one of the only times I've seen that from a front seven player ever was when Ziggy Ansah, and Ziggy Ansah, when Ziggy Ansah was healthy, was insanely oh, yeah. good. He chased down Adrian Peterson from behind. Like, and this was an AP was still AP, AP. not getting knocked out by Le'Veon Bell uh, in the boxing match. Like he was like, that's the type of athleticism we're talking about with Troy Anderson. I mean, the, the floor for Troy Anderson, I think the rest of his career is you are like a four core special team or Matthew Slater type. Like that's the floor for you. The yeah. ceiling it is very high on Troy Anderson because of that athleticism, because of that intelligence. And I think you have to find a way to get him on the field. Now it goes to what we saw, I think, earlier in the year. I think we could see a lot of those, what I call the four-five-two, or the two. The, sorry, not the four-five-two. Uh, flip that. The two-five-four. <laughs> two, two, yeah, where I mean, technically, it's like a four-three, but it's you really have five linebackers because your edge rushers are standing up mm-hmm. on the field. Like I, that could be. I could see that being their base, and then you have reason to have all three of those guys. And that gives you more speed on the field and more flexibility defensively, I think. But you need to also be able to get more out of those two, being Grady and Taekwon. But to get more out of them, you need more from the edge rushers. Like So that's it's all a tricky balance as we're talking more toward 2023 than I think of this yeah. year. But it would not even shock me this year if that ends up being their base the last four games of the season. It's definitely something that I, I want to look for because I like I think that in that kind of – specific formation Troy Anderson probably as as like one of the outside inside linebackers you've got a little bit more of a stationary role than what I think he could be in the future which is a little bit more of that jack of all trades kind of like big box safety hybrid linebacker guy I just don't know if he can cover in the slot like I haven't seen that element of his game enough to know if I would trust him to kind of well I mean he does he's got the tools you know it's just the feel for it right and so that's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, I really hope that we do get to see a lot of him. I hope we get to see a lot of these young players. D. Alford, I know, is another guy that you mentioned. Like, that could be interesting. But Maybe. I'm, I'm still not – sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just still not no, sold that they're going to move on. I, they might. I mean, so here's what Arthur Smith said because, you know, when he was listing it, he was like – he had said corner and inside linebacker on Monday mm-hmm. when he'd been asked about defense. And so I actually asked him, I'm like, well, are those areas you really look at that? And then he was like, well, you know, I said this and this also, but like, it was very, very like noticeable. And maybe it's just my ears picking it up because there's a lot of information, but that tells me, yeah, there may be looking at something there. Now, I don't know. I still think Darren Hall is a decent to good player. I think he's I, been solid. Yeah. I think he's been fine. Now, maybe you want to get a look at D Alford, but I don't think that that, I, like Darren Hall is still young. AJ Terrell, you're not taking off the field. And Isaiah right. Oliver has been like, that's the key, right? If Isaiah Oliver yeah. comes off the field the last four games in that position, 
Because right now they've been splitting nickel where it's in true pass situations, it's been D. Alford. When it's a hybrid or a run situation, it's been Isaiah Oliver. Yep. Well, if all of a sudden, they, if I think if Isaiah Oliver comes off the field and is less, you know, is not playing as much the last four games, which I don't anticipate that's going to happen. But if it does, in favor of D. Alford, that probably tells you what the future is potentially there because they're not, Isaiah sure. Oliver is still a young enough player, especially in the nickel, that you don't want to sacrifice reps there. It's, it's going to be really fascinating what they do there because I think they do want to get a look at, at DL for they may want to get a look at Rashad Fenton as well. Like, yeah, but at the same time, I think you need, if you believe in Darren Hall at all, you need to, you want Darren Hall to get as many reps as you can, because who knows what the future holds with Casey Hayward. Uh, mm-hmm. He is on the contract for next year. He was playing well before he got hurt. Uh, I'll, Peck is not the same. Like that's not going to alter a lot of what you do right. going forward. So not for a corner, yeah. right? Exactly. So you can you can manage that. I mean, listen. I think everybody would understand. Casey probably wants to be back next year because he's yeah. from here. He he does more in the community other than Chris Lindstrom and Grady and AJ. He does more yep. in the community than anybody. I mean, I was at the the like DB showcase thing that he he and AJ put on down by Lakewood. Yeah, I mean, like, so he, I think, I think Casey's very invested here. And mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, well, can he, can he play? And, you know, listen, I, that's, I don't think he has outright a job next year in terms of like a starting job. I, they would probably want to have a young cornerback to push him. Yeah. Uh, but I, who knows what this looks like the last four games? I, and by the way, I have no anticipation that Casey Hayward's coming back, like, at all. Like, I mean, he's last, He's been around the team more, but I think that that's more as a mentorship because he also knows he'd like to be back next year than anything else. Like, it's not like, okay, he's hanging around because he's magically going to start practicing tomorrow. No, I I, I don't see that happening. I get questions every week. When's Casey Aver coming back? I'm like, (laughs) dude, he had a surgery for a torn pack. A month ago, he was still in a sling. Like, I don't. And he's old. He's a veteran. Like, they, they they don't heal. As, as quickly as, and even well, still, that, like just, even I if mean, this was a young guy, if it was Kyle Pitts, like that's not, you don't no, rush I guy back think, out on the field. At some point too, again, if you want him back next year, why would you push it? Exactly. Like now, if all of a sudden they are in the playoffs and they win a couple games, I mean, Arthur Smith said that himself <laughs> because he rule him out for the rest of the year, but he's like, hey, yeah, I mean, he basically was saying, hey, if, if they're still hanging around, then maybe, but I mean, yeah. you're also dealing with a guy who's been out for two and a half months at that point. So, so anyway, I know we kind of got off on that tangent, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I think anything's possible, right? I mean, the one thing we do know is when Elijah Wilkinson comes back at left guard, he's going to be their left guard. I mean, I asked that yep. pretty directly on Monday and Arthur was pretty much, yeah, that's that's what would happen, which they ran the ball, I think, the best they ran when they had him at left guard. And I think that helps Drew Dahlman out and yeah. also helps Jake Matthews out. Absolutely. I think that helps Drew Dahlman out. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we saw Outside of the low snaps, some of Drew Dahlman's like weakest performances in the run game in particular happened once Elijah Wilkinson was out of that lineup. I, I think that's a huge thing that gets not talked about enough is the play that guards have on centers, um, yeah. because usually the center like where they're going is to protect a guard or uh, or not. And so, yeah, having competent play there is is important. But let's you mentioned kind of the final four games and potentially a couple of playoff wins. So if if the Falcons are in the Super Bowl. Maybe then we see Casey Hayward. So until then, everybody can just forget about <laughs> it. But, but what do you get the sense? The Fal- because- Will, I'll, ma- I'll make you this deal. If the Falcons end up in the <laughs> Super Bowl, uh, I will I will do your podcast every day that week. 
Oh, heck yes. <laughs> we're we're going to do it. Yep. All right, cool. Writing it and, down. And I realized I probably needed to get permission before I said that. And I've now just, but <laughs> that's just me also saying, I, that, it's then, not, yeah, yeah. it's not happening. Um, but it looks like as of right now, the, the path is a little bit clearer than maybe it was a week ago or two weeks ago, because Lamar Jackson expectations are that he'll be back for the Falcons game, but he's clearly dealing, you know, with an injury situation. Don't know how effective he'll be. Kyler Murray confirmed today. Um, I, MCL, I believe AC- not ACL, ACL. I saw ACL. 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 Okay. Um, so he's done for the year. Obviously those are the two out of division opponents. You got the saints on Sunday. If, if they win against the saints, you know, where, where does that fall priority wise in, all right, let's actually try to make something of this season after all versus some of these extra playing time opportunities that we just spent the last, you know, 15 minutes talking about. Well, I think it's, listen, I think it goes hand in hand. I mean, they're because here's the thing, even if they lose on Sunday to the saints, they're not out of it. Like, and we saw, no, but we saw that, okay, follow me here. We saw that last year, right? Because they were in it until that Buffalo game. And then really the only game they were, done done was that saints in week 18 i mean it could be a very similar situation here mm-hmm. uh I, I mean but what have you seen from the bucks that tells you they're gonna like i cincinnati I nothing should roll them frankly so all of a sudden if you win and you're the if you win next week and you're the falcons i mean you're very much in this because the panthers still have to play tampa bay and new orleans and they have to play the Lions. And yeah. well that and the Lions are, I would say, maybe the third best team in the NFC at the moment. Playing playing like it, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well I said at the moment they're the third best team in the NFC behind right. Philly and Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and you can argue Minnesota one way or the other. Like they're playing really good ball. So that could be beneficial for Atlanta. I mean, Carolina would hold the tiebreaker. Uh, at the moment. So it's, there's so much that can still happen, but obviously if the Falcons don't beat New Orleans, if the Falcons beat New Orleans, a lot of this, you know, comes into play. If the Falcons lose, I think that for all intents and purposes, you're done. But, uh, you know, technically, mathematically, you won't be. (laughs) But at some point... Yeah, I mean, it's wild that we're talking about this at five and eight. Like, I know, right? Like, you know, usually at five and eight, exactly. like, all right, yeah, let's, you know, maybe you're still technically not eliminated, but like, you're going to be eliminated in a week because, like, that's just, you got a team that's got eight or nine wins already. And, like, no, not, not here, not in the NFC mess. I mean, <laughs> oh, like, God. this is, this is some crazy, I, I've covered a lot of weird stuff covering Michigan and Notre Dame and the Lions for eight seasons. I, Nothing like division wide like this, man. It's 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 bad. It's crazy. It's I mean, good for the Falcons, I guess. But you could argue that it's good for any of these teams in these division. And long term, it's probably not great because well, I mean, look, <laughs> let's be honest, right? Steve Wilkes, right? Yeah. Steve Wilkes could win the division, which would probably save his job and should if they win the division. I don't care if they win it seven wins. Like the job he's done has been quite good. Considering Carolina got rid of Christian McCaffrey, their quarterback situation is the worst in the division. In, yes. a, in a division where every team has had a quarterback issue of one 
sort or another. Brady clearly not trusting his offensive line. And then every other team has made at least one quarterback change. Yeah. Like. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. It's a crazy division, man. Um, But we've got four more games left and we can buckle up and enjoy these. And then hopefully just start fresh in 2023. Everything will be a little bit more. Here's the crazy thing, Will. If they make the playoffs, they'll host a game. I know. And they'll probably host what? Dallas. I mean, it would pro- you would think it would be I Dallas. I think it would be Dallas. Yeah. You would think. But, I mean, Dallas hasn't exactly been good in the playoffs. Dan Quinn and Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I, I, I like those I mean, odds in our favor. Right. And then, I mean, if it's somehow not Dallas, it's probably, what, Washington at that point? More mm-hmm. than likely? Well, I mean, a team that you played even. Yeah. Like, and should, and honestly, if, a, if Deron Payne doesn't bat a ball in the air, you probably win that game. And, and then yep. it's a completely different conversation right now because then you're tied with the Bucs and you are, have a really good shot of getting to the playoffs. But I also, I'm, I'm of the belief that if they, I mean, of course this is all butterfly effect, right? Like that pass <laughs> ends up being a touchdown. They, they probably end up winning that game. And then, Mariota has confidence and probably has a little bit more room to to play with, and maybe they go out and beat Pittsburgh, and then yeah, it's, a it's, different it's all yeah, it's, it's all wild how that goes. Or they get blown out by Pittsburgh, and you're still in the same situation. Who know, Who knows? Yeah, it's it's all dominoes. It's all how one thing affects the other, which is which is something that I give this team credit for for being resilient. Sometimes in the face where teams uh, Falcons teams of the past would have just fallen like one of those many dominoes and, and folded and said, things aren't going our way. This team does seem to try to yeah. make stuff happen, which is why I'm curious to see what they can make happen over the final four games. Well, that's the thing, right? And, and I, I think this is probably will end on this, right? Like Arthur Smith from the Twitter portion of this fan base, stop trying to fire Arthur Smith, please. I'm tired of answering these questions. He He's is good. If he was the fight. offensive coordinator, everybody would be saying, well, at least we've got a great offensive coordinator. Right. He's not getting fired. He's done a very good coaching job with this team. Mm-hmm. Remember, this team had the most dead money in the NFL entering the season and had a top five cap space, too. Yep. That means your roster is not nearly – and granted, I mean – you're paying guys what you're paying guys, and not every contract, as we know, is a good contract for a high-priced guy. Right. But generally, that will tell you, hey, like the more money you have allocated to players versus dead money, the better your chance your roster is. Well, they have like it's a it's a rough <laughs> roster, man. The fact that they're in this is, you know, like it's like fans recalibrated expectations because they weren't awful. Because they weren't yes, the Texans. Yes. And it's like, hey, remember where you were. Remember what the expectations are. Like, Arthur Smith has done a very good job. He's a very creative play caller. I think he's still growing into it a little bit as a coach, but that's okay. Like, he is a good coach. I've covered a lot of bad coaching. I've covered <laughs> a lot of bad coaches. Not a, every coach has their flaws. But I'm telling you, Arthur Smith is a good football coach. Like... Stop. Please stop. I, I mean, you know what I'm excited about, Will? I'm not going to get any more when is Death and Ritter starting questions. 
Oh, it's a beautiful day. But I will say this. I feel like the over-under is at two. If Desmond Ritter doesn't play well, if I get I, – when is Marcus Mariota starting again or when is Logan Woodside starting questions on my podcast on Sunday? I feel like that's going to happen and someone's going to listen to this podcast and just do that to troll me. And if you do, thank you, sir or ma'am. <laughs> all right. Well, please send all of your trolling emails to uh, to Michael Rothstein, who has been today's guest. Check out his stuff on ESPN. Uh, catch his tweets and send your lovely tweets his way at Mike Rothstein. Uh, please listen to From the Perch. Mike, did I miss anything? You got anything else before I let you go? Oh, sure. Well, let's just add all this. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, and Post. <laughs> <laughs> At Mike Rothstein. Uh, and Mastodon and Post, I have like no followers. So come follow if you're on those platforms. <laughs> uh, if you're on Facebook, I'm on Michael Rothstein Journalist. If you're on TikTok, I'm on Mike Rothstein Sports. And I think that's all of it. I think I might still have an account on whatever that Clubhouse thing was too, but I don't use it. I think I actually there deleted it from my phone. But, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like you squat, you squat your name a little bit just in case, I guess. But it was like a cool tool for like a week. Um <laughs> So I'm on all the, I'm on way too much social media, but not Snapchat. Will not Snapchat. Never Snapchat. No, never, never, never Snapchat. I'm, I'm out on Snapchat too. They lost me when, with all the real like kind of things early on, I, I'm kind of old when it comes to social media. Twitter is where you can find me. <laughs> well, I'm also not on Be Real, but that's okay because no, Be Real. Yeah. I, I don't like the concept of Be Real because like too often I feel like that's going to happen while I'm at like the gym. And no one needs to see me working out. Right. Yeah. It's for an introvert like me. I'm like, you don't need to see the inside of my house for the 14th day in a row. Nobody's going right. to follow me. You for don't that. need to see my bland white walls that you see behind me. And I've got the <laughs> World Cup semifinal on there. I assume Argentina is still winning. You just don't need to see that. No one needs to see that. <laughs> no one needs to see me. Look at this face. No one needs to see that. All right. Well, uh, well, on that note, then we will let you go. So nobody has seen you any further. But Mike, I really appreciate the uh, the time. This was awesome catching up and, and getting all of your insights. Absolutely, man. Anytime. That will do it for today's podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the deep dive into all things Falcons quarterbacks with Mike Rothstein. Um, please stay tuned with the feed. Ovi and I will be back Sunday evening to recap a Saints game that Man, if the Falcons can win this, it's still in front of them. As weird as that is to say, as kind of honestly fool's goldish that feels to say because they've had everything in front of them multiple times this season. But again, with the Kyler Murray injury, with Lamar Jackson dinged up at this time of year, yeah, the Ravens got J.K. Dobbins back and they look good. I mean, they find ways to win some of these closer games, which the Falcons have had trouble winning recently. But I just kind of get the sense that things could come down to a week 18 game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who, what the hell are they doing this year? And the Falcons could still find their way uh, into this thing. Now, Desmond Ritter is going to play a lot into that. I think we learned a bit more about this whole situation today. And now the real fun begins because we will get to see what Desmond Ritter has out on the field. So be back bright and early Monday morning to get Ovi and I's thoughts on his first game as the Falcons official starter um, at the quarterback position. But until then, please let everybody know where they can find us, uh, wherever they get their podcast. Follow me, myself and I on uh, Twitter at Will McFadden. You can check out Mike Rothstein at Mike Rothstein and Ovi Mihaly at Ovi Mihaly 34. 
Today's podcast, as always, was presented by Bet Online. Please check us out on YouTube, TuneIn Radio, SiriusXM, all that good stuff. And until next time, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.